If this had happened somewhere else and people hadn't reacted, Newfoundlanders would have been surprised, thinking, why, why wouldn't you be welcoming? And, and uh, to say they went out of their way, I guess you could say that, but I don't think Newfoundlanders probably knew how to behave any differently. This week, the Toronto Maple Leafs are on the rock to start training camp. It's been 18 years since they came here to narrow down the roster, and at the same time, to celebrate the city's brand new Mile One Arena. But on the morning they were set to take off, the world changed, and we've been living in that morning's shadow for the last 18 years. Two separate planes crashing into the World Trade Center. Within 18 minutes of each other. And we now believe that three planes were hijacked, two of them from Boston. FAA has ordered all aircraft across the country to land at the nearest airport. Oh my God. Both towers are oh gone. Oh God. The trade shelf is collapsed. Oh, those poor people. Oh God. As 27 planes were diverted to St. John's International Airport, Mile One became the temporary home to over 4,000 stranded passengers. People who emerged onto the tarmac in confusion, shock, and horror. Some not even sure where in the world they had ended up. I remember we had to get a map of the world and then uh, like a globe and point to Newfoundland and say, you are here. This is where you were, because probably 50% of them, they had no clue uh, where Newfoundland was. The history of the Toronto Maple Leafs is much more than just the legends and bronze outside of our building and the banners hanging from our rafters. We're not just storied, we are stories. The stories of 100 plus years of players and staff, heroes, heels, and everything in between. It's the history of real, remarkable, and remarkably complicated people, like players, owners, staff, and, of course, you, the fans, all united by a common passion. That history includes culture clashes, Hail Mary business deals, and, as we'll explore in today's episode, intriguing intersections with events that have shaped our world. I'm Scotty Willits. This is Leaps Forever. Okay, so, this morning... After their medicals, and once all the marketing day photography is done, the Leafs will fly to the Rock, St. John's. We've gotten used to the team hitting the road for Camp of Lame. I mean, we did two years in Halifax and two years in Niagara Falls. But you see, this trip is going to have an extra layer of meaning. For those who don't know, the Leafs had their AHL affiliate in St. John's from 91 to 2005. The St. John's Maple Leafs. The Baby Leafs, we called them. And the Baby Leafs left the Rock when the Marlies set up shop in Toronto. But in 2018, Leafs hockey returned with the creation of the ECHL Newfoundland Growlers. And those boys, in their inaugural season, well, they did what champs do. They won the Kelly Cup. So there's something to celebrate. There's a relationship. But as we're going to explore on this podcast, that relationship goes much deeper than just hockey. Our producer, Paul Matthews, well, he's been digging into that history for us, talking to some of the people who were actually there. Training Camp, September 2001. The Maple Leafs game operations 
and community relations teams have arrived in Newfoundland ahead of the players. When you close your eyes and imagine a training camp, you probably think about the players, the coaches, the medical and training staffs. But there's a whole circus that runs Sidecar. And the scale of that circus, in this case at least, wasn't going to fit in a commercial airplane. They had enough stuff to fill two city blocks. To ship it would have been an impossibility. So, the advance party has driven out. And because in 01, the ferry from Nova Scotia only leaves once a week, they've already been in town for a few days, handing out t-shirts, meeting with the locals, and just generally having a good time. In that group is Mike Farriman, manager of game operations. He's one of those guys who was born a diehard fan and turned that fandom into a career. Mike has probably put more serious thought into t-shirt cannons, prize parachutes, perfectly timed crotch rock, and classic movie clips than anyone you've ever met. On the morning of September 11th, as Mike and the rest of the team are getting ready to do a school visit, he gets a call on his hotel room phone. It's Jen Woods, an on-air host for Leafs TV. Jen tells him to turn on the television. Everyone remembers where they were when this happened. We didn't know that a plane had flown in to the first tower. And, you know, sometimes we think back and we all know what happened now. But at the time, it was a mystery. And we forget that it was that it was a mystery. Email was relatively new. The internet was relatively new. People weren't communicating with the outside world on the phone like we would today. There have been attacks on the World Trade Center before. So, you know, at first you're thinking, well, maybe it's not as serious as, as it was eventually it turned out and then we saw the second plane hit and that's when we realized something really serious was happening and then I think the moment when it really hit everybody was when the first tower went down and I just don't think anyone could have even fathomed that Mike gets another call. It's Glenn Stanford, VP of Hockey Operations for the St. John's Maple Leafs. This is the guy who helped bring the Leafs to Newfoundland in the first place. Glenn is basically hosting the event, managing logistics, and things are moving pretty fast. When the towers were hit, the U.S. grounded all outgoing planes and ensured all incoming planes were diverted. In response, the Canadian government enacted Operation Yellow Ribbon, sending 255 flights to 17 different airports across the country. The Tony Award-winning musical Come From Away has immortalized part of this story. In St. John's, 21 flights are grounded. Now, the airport's under construction. 
It only has two functioning bathrooms, only a handful of phones. It is in no state to meet the processing needs of over 4,000 incoming people. In a matter of hours, Mile One has gone from being home to an NHL training camp to being the temporary home to a village of tired, anxious, and terrified passengers, none of whom can get to their belongings on those planes. Glenn Stanford is at the center of all of this, and he needs all the help he can get. So he calls up Mike and tells him to rally the troops and meet him at the arena. Here's Glenn. So one of the things that, that we did immediately with her staff uh, was say to them, you know, as professionals, this is what we do every event. We have five to 6,000 people coming into our building every hockey game, more for a concert and, and, and for some other events. So don't be, you know, don't be afraid of, of what's coming in here. Don't be intimidated by what's coming because this is what we do for a living. They didn't know the real reason, you know, why they were given the order to, uh, to, to land. You know, why are we here? And to be honest with you, to be quite honest with you, Paul, we're, I mean, I, I remember we had to get a map of the world and then uh, like a globe and point to Newfoundland and say, you are here. This is where you are. Because, you know, to be fair to probably 50% of them, they had no clue uh, where Newfoundland was. And then uh, we had maps over mile one. We had maps over at the convention center explaining to the people, this is where you are. Mike and the other LEAF staff are tasked with helping the Red Cross. We were to act as Red Cross volunteers, registering every single passenger that was taken off a plane in St. John's that day. Many of them, you know, they hadn't seen the TV, radios weren't on, and they came into the arena maybe with a little bit of an idea of what was happening. But I do distinctly remember the very first couple that I registered and the first question they asked me, they said, is this World War III? And I remember my answer still to this day was, I don't know. Salvation Army came down with mattresses and blankets, and we had about 1,000 people sleeping over in the convention center for the first couple of nights. Even after Newfoundlanders had started opening up their homes, there were still around 1,000 people sleeping in the St. John's Convention Center next to Mile 1. And every morning, as soon as they woke up, everyone would tramp back to the arena to sit with their fellow passengers and wait for news. What was interesting when they came back the next morning was that the sections in our building were obviously numbered, uh, but the numbers changed to the airlines. So section 118 became Zabina Airlines, section 119 became Air Canada, section 120 became Swiss Air you know, and on British here and onwards. So when people came in the next morning, they simply just, they just simply went back and looked for their airline number. And then that's where they had to go back every morning and sit. Because we didn't know whether they were going to be here for one day or whether they were going to be here for three or four days. And, uh, you know, the vast majority of them did stay for the three or four days. Just imagine all these passengers sitting in a cold hockey arena, waiting for news that on most days, is no news at all. And without a mobile phone to stare at, they've got nowhere to look but the surface of the ice. Brendan McCarthy, the beat writer and play-by-play man for the St. John's Maple Leafs, describes an amazing moment that captures the need for relief in that arena. 
At one point, it was interesting, uh, the, the coach of the St. John's Maple Leafs was Lou Crawford. He and the assistant coach, Russ Adam, who, who was a former um, Toronto Maple Leaf, I think Russ played about eight games back in the 80s with Toronto, and they decided just at one time to, to, go, <laughs> to go for a little skate on the ice just to kind of, you know, they were waiting like everybody else to see what was happening. So they put on their, you know, their sweats or their little their suits, their blue Maple Leaf garb suits, and they went out. So when they came out of the ice, I think they there were some people who thought it was like the, that they had a arrived and training camp was beginning and so Russ and Lou got a standing ovation and the other interesting thing about that they were accompanied by Russ Adams 11 year old son who happened to go on to become an NHLer Luke Adam. So the moment that flights are suspended the Leafs brass obviously had to make alternate plans. Training camp couldn't be cancelled so it was relocated to the Toronto suburb of Etobicoke. Mike Fairman and his colleagues are meant to be entertaining the fans at camp. But without a camp, they just keep volunteering. Handing out leaf swag to those whose baggage is still on the tarmac. Talking to people. And doing what they can to make the experience as positive as possible. Part of Mike's job in Newfoundland is to produce a segment for the team's new broadcast specialty network, Leafs TV. Mike was in St. John's, rooming with a cameraman named Doug Volpel. So, why didn't they record anything? Once this thing happened, it never even occurred to us that it should be something that we were recording. Uh, it just didn't feel right to be putting a camera in people's faces because you just can't guarantee what's in someone's heart, what's in someone's mind at that exact moment, what they've been through, how this has affected them. I don't think we even took the camera back out again until the blue and white game. Throughout all of this, Glenn is phoning Leafs AGM Bill Waters every day, working out logistics, pushing the dates back, desperately trying to salvage his camp. Even as flights start to leave Newfoundland, the question still remains, will the Leafs be able to come? Here's Brendan McCarthy. You had all these planes on the ground, for one thing. Even if you could get a flight out of Toronto, and things were tangling in Toronto too, if, if, even if you could get a flight out of Toronto, you would have to have to find a place to land it in St. John's. That was part of the problem. So you, first of all, planes had to leave. Another problem was gasoline, or airplane fuel, aviation fuel. They weren't sure how much they would have here. Would they have enough aviation fuel to get them out? Because obviously they weren't a priority. For Toronto to make that decision, to kind of live up to the promise that they made uh, was something. It was logistically difficult. It was a risk. Nobody knew whether another terrorist attack would strike in another major city. Everyone was on edge about air travel and about the state of the world generally. And Hurricane Aaron was working its way east, downgraded but still raring to hit the eastern tip of Newfoundland. There were loads of reasons to say hell with it. But the Leafs had made a promise to the people of St. John's. And they'd stand by it. The team finally leaves Toronto on September 14th. As soon as they arrive safely, it's full steam ahead. The team is on the ice at mile one the next day. Except those passengers who'd been assembling in the arena by flight number, a lot of them are still there, still waiting. And you know, watching the team practice. 
a lot of these people from around the world, a lot of them probably never seen a hockey rink, a hockey game, a hockey player, and and then there's you know the Toronto Maple Leafs on the ice, you know, getting ready for the season, getting ready for the blue and white game, and then they would make an announcement like, you know, attention everyone on this flight, uh, the buses are now boarding, your flight is now departing for wherever destination they were meant to go. If you closed your eyes, you would think you were at the you know in the departures area of the St. John's International Airport. And then what was interesting was that the players would stop practice and slam their sticks on the ice to show their appreciation for the people that were there watching them and for people who were then, after spending two or three days you know, in St. John's, were able to move on. And that happened three or four times during practice for sure. And I remember after the practice was over, we were testing our scoreboard videos and there was this one video that Leaf fans of a certain age will remember and it was actually on set on an airplane, and as the um, the camera kind of went up uh, the aisle of the airplane to the cockpit door, and it opened up, and Matt Sundin was sitting in the captain's seat, and he turns and looks at the camera, and he says, Ladies, Ladies and, and gentlemen, gentlemen this, this is your captain speaking. speaking. Prepare for takeoff. Uh, and we would play that, you know, to start the games back in, you know, 99, 2000 at, at the Air Canada Centre. And, but all the people who were waiting for their planes to leave thought this was some special message we created letting them know that they were going home so there was this big huge cheer and i was like oh man like what are the odds that that would be the video we'd play and then the blue and white game that night uh, you know packed house for for a blue and white game uh, as you can appreciate uh, matt sundin and gary roberts uh, you know, dropping them for the for the puck drop In an atmosphere like that, there was no way the blue and white game would be just another match. Everything was heightened. Emotions were running high. The team had decided weeks before to donate to the local children's hospital. Because the province was willing to match any donated funds two to one, the Leafs donated over a third of a million dollars, knowing that it'd mean a solid million for the hospital. This meant there'd be a check presentation on the ice with team president Ken Dryden. And for Dryden, a Hall of Fame goalie who'd served seven years in Parliament and who'd written the game, arguably the most beautiful book about hockey ever, the moment demanded words. Never takes us quite that long to introduce that many players because the cheers were so, so long and so loud. And it was kind of like the blue and white game was a bit of a a thank you, a reward for the great hospitality that the people of St. John's had displayed. And uh, I believe in Ken and his speech, and I wish I had the whole thing written out in front of me, but it was like he kind of gave them, you know, permission to enjoy themselves that night. Because I think people were figuring, like, you know, how can we be so happy when all of these terrible things have happened? But I think that it was a, a, a huge part of the, of the healing uh, that went on and it was a nice thank you for all the Maple Leafs fans that had purchased tickets and had wanted to come see their heroes and had worked so hard in the week leading up to it, uh, making sure that the rest of the world had an enjoyable, um, unplanned stay in, in St. John's. It was very moving. And 
it wasn't only emotional for the fans. Some of the players had been touched by tragedy too. One in particular, who Brendan McCarthy knew very well, was St. John's Maple Leaf, Jeff Farkas. So Jeff Farkas was there, and during the uh, he played in that uh, exhibition game, and uh, there was a, a moment of silence, um, and the players kind of they all stood towards center ice, the players on both sides, but the American flag was hanging at the other end of the building. And I remember Jeff Farkas turned around, and during that he he was staring at that American flag, and he was very, very emotional. He had, uh, his girlfriend at the time lived in suburban New York. She was all right, but he had friends who were in the Twin Towers. He had lost friends in the Twin Towers. So it was a, it was a very emotional time for Jeff Farkas. I remember that. That's one thing that stood out. The night went off without a hitch. It served as a thank you to the people of St. John's and an opportunity for everyone in attendance to turn off their anxieties at least for one night. To just watch hockey and have some fun. For that reason, and because Mike Fairman is a game ops guy, he is particularly proud of the fact that that night, St. John saw the best great Canadian goalie race of all time. Dave the Save Donaldson, handsome Johnny Lukowicz, smiling Danny Lemieux, George Rosie LaRose, and Danny the Golden Boy McPherson. And needless to say, you know, nobody in St. John's had ever seen an intermission promotion, anything like it. I think everyone sort of sensed the importance of the moment, and they realized that was their time to sort of give back. And the standing ovations and subsequent curtain calls for the winner, handsome Johnny Lukowicz, the green goalie, uh, lasted eight minutes. I'd never, to that point in my life, ever met uh, an entire city of people who were so friendly. They had set up 75 international phone lines in the in the arena uh, so people could, could call home once they were processed. They had food for everybody and good food. They had toys for all the children. If you go to see uh, the musical come from away, uh, you may think, oh, this, this isn't possibly what it could have been like. But it's, it was exactly like that. I'm a believer that important events of the past should be remembered important people of the past uh, that have done good things you know should be remembered it's a story that should never be forgotten it's it certainly won't be forgotten by anyone who was out there it won't be forgotten by any of the people who visited there our job kind of is to make sure that people maybe who haven't heard the story uh hear the story because again we're talking about 18 years ago so you know, you have to be 25, 26, 27 to even have a real recollection of what happened that day. And even if you do, it's probably the images from Manhattan or Washington or Pennsylvania uh, rather than, you know, the story of what happened in Gander uh, and St. John's. And now... After 18 years, the team is going back. A new generation of Leafs and staff and fans are going to get the chance to rediscover one another and the story they've shared. And when they do, more than a few of We Come From Aways are going to need to get screeched in. Now, in case you've never heard the term, here's Brendan McCarthy to break it down. 
It's a ceremony whereby you're made an honorary Newfoundlander. You have to kiss a cod. You know, some people that will say that you have to kiss what is called a slobby cod, which means it's not a fresh cod. You have to kiss the cod on his lips. You have to take a, uh, a, a shot of rum and the, to eat a, uh, a piece of bologna. But it has to be traditionally a piece of Fausti bologna. So it's best before date is expired. And then the other thing would be to, you have to recite this in its, it's a nautical term, in long may your big jib draw, which means may, may the winds be behind you. And, and do, do you dare to become a Newfoundlander? Will you put up? And then in some ways, if you look back at it, I guess is one way of saying, you know, it's not easy being living in Newfoundland. It's not easy. You've got to put up with a lot. But So if you can do this and put up with it, maybe, uh, yeah, you're worth staying here. So that's, I'll put it that way. But what a testament to the warmth and hospitality of the people of St. John's. I, for one, couldn't wait to get here, to sit in mile one and try to imagine the experience of those passengers, and of course, to watch some great hockey. It's an exciting time for this team. We've got a ton of fresh faces and a crop of talented young guys chomping at the bit. And yeah, of course, I'm looking forward to getting screeched in. So if you're out here, come say hello. And if you can't make it up to the rock, just follow the action on the Maple Leafs app. You can actually catch the live streams of the scrimmages there as well as all the sights and sounds. And if you don't already, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, subscribe to the Leafs YouTube channel. Leafs Forever is a monthly podcast, so the next episode will be coming out in October. Subscribe so you can get it in your favorite podcast app. This episode was produced by Katie Jensen with Vocal Fry Studios for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Special thanks to Mike Ferriman, Glenn Stanford, and Brendan McCarthy for taking the time to talk to us, and Mike Zemaitis, Nick Konarowski for digging through the Leafs TV archives. Rate us and review us. We'd love to hear what you think. I'm Scotty Willits. Until next time.